As many of you know, this past week I attended our denomination's General Assembly. It is our annual national meeting. And this meeting was of special significance as we were celebrating our 50th year as a denomination. 50 years of God's unmerited grace. For 50 years, our denomination has been established. For 50 years, our denomination has been faithful to the Scriptures, true to the Reformed faith, and obedient to the Great Commission. It was a wonderful and it was a busy week. Four days of meetings, smaller meetings, which consisted of about 150 people, to larger meetings that consisted of 2,200 people. But together we celebrated God's grace of what he's been doing through our denomination, through our, all of our different ministries, through ministries such as Reformed University Fellowship, RUF, which we pray for every single week. Through RUF, our ministers are equipping God's children, our students, with the truth of God's word and equipping them, as Bill just prayed, to enter the world in which they live, to become followers of Christ and to build his kingdom. Students are instructed in evangelism and missions, taught how to grow in the doctrines of grace. They're taught how to have fellowship and how to serve one another and to have a, a biblical world and life view. And these leaders are actively seeking these students that they might know Christ and Him crucified. We have 182 campuses across the world with RUF ministers faithfully preaching God's Word. We have ministries like Mission to the World, MTW, which send out our professors and many of our other missionaries and they seek to spread the gospel throughout the world, to grow Christ's church, to see Satan's kingdom destroyed, and Christ's reign to be extended from sea to sea. We celebrate that just a few years after the pandemic, more countries have been opened up so that we might send missionaries in to preach the word of God. And we also prayed for MTW. In our denomination, we prayed that 1%, 1% of our communing members would be sent into the mission field this year. That's 300,000 communing members. Just 1%, not, not sending out 300,000, 1% of 300,000 would be sent into the world to faithfully proclaim the gospel. I prayed that prayer. That means we are praying for two of our members to become missionaries to the world. We also have the Mission to North America, MNA, which serves for the expansion of the churches here in North America. And our prayer is that the next 10 years, MNA will multiply almost 2,000 churches to 3,000 churches through new church plants through reducing church closures, through expanding the diversity of the PCA and partnering with denominational committees and agencies to bless our own country. These are just three different ministries of our denomination 
that are seeking to be faithful to the Scriptures, true to the Reformed faith, and obedient to the Great Commission. Yet during this meeting, which I thought was a huge success, amid all this joy and celebration about what God is doing by His grace, we also gathered together and we lamented. We lamented at the loss of two of our great leaders, Harry Reeder and Tim Keller. We lamented at the heinous acts that happened at one of our churches when a shooter went in and killed the daughter of one of our ministers. We lamented over the heartache that our founding fathers experienced when they left to form a new denomination because that denomination was not faithful to the Scriptures. That denomination was not true to the Reformed faith and therefore was not able to be obedient to the Great Commission. We lamented as a church over the heartache that our people experience every single day. Yet this is not where this passage begins. This passage begins as a song of joy and celebration. It celebrates God's character. It celebrates God's covenant and promises to the Davidic king. And if you want to know more about the Davidic king, go back and listen to last week's sermon. And then it moves and celebrates God's sovereignty over all of his creation. And it celebrates his unique electing love of his people. And then it celebrates the coming fulfillment of God's covenant promises through the king. This is what happens in the first 37 verses of this chapter. All of it is wrapped up and is a testimony. It's a theology. It's a backdrop of who our God is and what he has done for his people. It's a hymn where his people can sing, Great is thy faithfulness. He has promised his Hesed love. His love that pursues his people no matter where they are. He has promised his faithfulness that he would support and bless not only us, but our children and our children's children. It's a hymn that celebrates that he has protected us. He has blessed us. He has drawn us to a place of rest. He has given us shelter in the shadow of his wings. He has defended us. But then in verse 38, we take a turn. After praising God for who he is and what he has promised and what he has done, we see Ethan the Ezraite suddenly turns and speaks of the current condition of his people. And what I want us to see this morning is fourfold. I want us to look at the people's prayer to the Lord, the people's place before the Lord, the, peace, the people's patience with the Lord, and the people's praise of the Lord. First, we want to see the, the people's prayer to the Lord. Despite everything that happened in the first 37 verses, this is where God's people currently are. But now you have cast off and rejected. You, have, you are full of wrath against your anointed. Let it be known, God's people, in verse 38, they're filing a complaint. 
They're filing a complaint against the Lord. Why? Are God's people allowed to do that? And the answer, of course, is yes. Yes, they can complain to the Lord. God has promised himself to them. He has promised them blessing upon blessing. He has promised them rest. He has promised them all things through their king. Yet right now they have nothing to show for it. They think the historical context of this psalm is that Jerusalem has been destroyed and the people have been cast out into exile. And so God's people come before him and say, where is our blessing? Because what we see in these verses aren't just the absent of blessings. They're actually the opposite of blessings. What they have been overcome with is pure evil. Look at me. Look with me in verse 38 to 42 These first eight verses at the reversal of God's fortune for his people. We read in Psalm 89, verse 20, I have found David, my servant, with my holy oil, I have anointed him. Yet in verse 38, we read, but now you have cast off and rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed. In Psalm 38, Verse 34, we read, And I will validate my covenant or alter, and will not alter the word I set on my lips. Yet in verse 39, we read, You have renounced the covenant with your servant. In verse 27, we see God say, I will make him the firstborn, the highest of kings of the earth. Yet in verse 40, what they are experiencing is that the walls have been breached, everything has been destroyed. In verse 19, he speaks of how he will give the godly one, he will give his his chosen one and exalt him. Yet in verse 41, we see all who pass by him plunder him. We see in verse 25, the enemy shall not outwit him. Yet we see in verse 42 that the strength of his foes has overcome him. The first eight verses are a complete reversal of all the promises that God has given his people. This is what they have received. And they want more because God has promised it to them. He has made promises to David which they should expect. Therefore, God's people are saying, Where are you, O God? If this was written by one of us, I think this is how it would read. What the heck, Lord? What's going on? This isn't what you promised us. This isn't what you said you would do for us. What's going on? What we need to see is that what Ezra or what Ethan the Ezraite is giving us is a proper response to this type of situation. He gives his people, God gives his people the very words that we should not shy away from. 
He has given us, by, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the very words that we are able to see, to use, to voice our situation when we do not see the promises of God for us. And this is what he says. How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself? How long will your wrath burn like fire? And we know this is a proper response. We know that this is what God's people should say to God when he has not fulfilled his promises. Because this is what we see throughout all of Scripture. They were spoken by Isaiah when God revealed that the people would harden their heart. Isaiah cried, how long, O Lord? These are the words used by Habakkuk when he believed that God was, God was letting sin go unpunished. He cried out, how long, O Lord? These are the words that are used in the book of Revelation by the saints in heaven asking when Christ will come and bring judgment because they were being slain. This is what they said. They cried out with a voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will bring justice and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Ezra is giving us these words that we might go before Yahweh and recognize our current situation isn't what we have been promised. And then he continues, Remember how short my time is. For what vanity you have created all children of man. What man can live and never see death? How long is this going to go on? How long must we endure? How long before you give us what you've promised? How long, O oh Lord? The psalmist asks the question that our hearts should long to ask. Lord, where is your steadfast love of old? Here he's no longer asking about God's timing. He's imploring God to act according to his own nature. You have told us that you are loving. You have told us you are faithful. Who are you truly? This is a true lament. God has given his people the words of lament. This is the posture God's people should have when their hearts are broken when they have nowhere else to turn. We should be a people who lament when we see evil and the destruction of sin in our world. When sin causes havoc and chaos. We should lament when it becomes difficult for people to be fruitful and multiply. When fathers want to be fathers, but they can't be. 
We should lament when it becomes hard and difficult for us to have dominion over God's creation, but our work becomes burdensome, and we don't know where else to turn. We should lament when we get the news that we so desperately didn't want. When death occurs, when great loss is experienced, we should lament when we receive the cancer diagnosis because that's not the way it's supposed to be. We should lament as parents when we watch our children deal with sicknesses that we cannot cure. We should lament when we watch our parents age when they seem to be undone right before our very eyes. We should lament when we see those that, those that we love have disabilities that change their life forever. We should lament when we experience true suffering. We should lament when we are sinned against. We should lament when those who we love are sinned against. Even when the sin isn't directed at us, but when we experience the ramification of someone else's sin, like unfaithful husband or an unfaithful wife, or when a father becomes a doer of evil rather than a dispenser of grace, when our sins affect our spouse, when our sin breaks up families, we should lament when a shooter goes into a school and wreaks destruction. We should lament when Christian men and women who we trust, who we look to, fall into sin. We should lament when our children walk away from the faith and leave the church. We should lament when a family member that we so trusted took advantage of us, even when we didn't deserve it. Brothers and sisters, this, the list goes on. We should be a people who lament. A people who come to the Lord and lay down our troubles and say, we need your help because we cannot do it on our own. This should be part of our regular practice to lament over unfortunate circumstances. Because these life circumstances don't make any sense. It wasn't how God intended his creation to be. When we, like Ethan the Ezraite, remember God's covenant promises and yet we aren't experiencing them, we should lament before the Lord and say, How long, O Lord? Where are you? And sometimes I feel pretty dumb. I feel pretty dumb because throughout my life I say I believe in God's promises and yet sometimes I have to look around and say I don't have them yet. And to make things worse, I say I believe in God's promises. I believe that what he says will come true and yet the world around us says where is your God? Where is your God when you need him most? 
This is what we see in verses 50 and 51. Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked and how I bear in my heart the insults of all the many nations with which your enemies mock. O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. And sometimes in my own heart, I shrink and I cower away because I forget the faithfulness of God. But it's at that time, it's in that very situation that we as God's people should run to the Lord because he has revealed himself as true. He has revealed himself as the loving one, as the faithful one. This psalm reveals to God's people not only where they are to go, but before whom they are to go. They're supposed to go to the Lord who has perfectly revealed himself in the person and work of Jesus. Who doesn't just leave us in our distress, he came to save us. He doesn't just leave us to try to win our own battles over our enemies, he came and defeated our enemies. He does not just leave us to fend for ourselves, he made our enemies his footstool. He did not leave us where our sins deserve. He came and rescued us by his hesed love and faithfulness. It is to Jesus that we run. It is to Jesus that we get on our knees and say, How long, O Lord? Because this is exactly what we saw Jesus do. Do you remember? Right before Jesus went into Jerusalem to bear the sins of his people, What did he do? He went and lamented over the city. We saw Jesus weep at the loss of a friend. Jesus is no stranger of lament. Jesus is no stranger of lament. How do you feel about lamenting? How do you feel about complaining before the Lord? How do you feel about someone else making a complaint to the Lord? If you feel it's out of place, if you feel it's it's not right and proper, brothers and sisters, then you don't understand who Jesus is. This is our proper response to sin. We take it before the altar of God and we say, help us. We can't do it on our own. This is the correct biblical response when we face evil. This is what God's people do. This is how God's people should pray. Because he is our loving father. This is what scared children do. They run to the father. When they are sad and grieving, they run to their father. They should run to the father. He is loving and faithful. 
This is what this psalm is showing us. This is what the people of God have always done. They've always prayed before the Lord. Secondly, these points are getting shorter, by the way. They're not, they're not getting longer. We see the people's place before the Lord. You have to know the long history of Israel. But the only reason that God's people can go before the Lord and offer this lament is because he has shown them grace. This is why he redeemed them. This is why he rescued them. So that they would be his people and that he would be their God. That when they faced troubles in their lives, they would run to him. Because he draws near to the brokenhearted. Not only when they receive what their hearts long for, but when they don't receive what their hearts long for. Not only when they're joyous and happy, but when they're overcome. Even in our uncertainty, we should go before the Lord but we should go before the Lord together. We should never feel alone in our lamenting and in our sadness. These songs are, these psalms are supposed to be sung as God's people together, reminding each other of the great promises that we have together as God's people. We need to be reminded Sometimes when we forget. We need help when our sadness and lamenting feels too overwhelming to continue. We need each other to point one another back to Jesus. This is, this is who we are. We are people of the promise. It is through Jesus that we have received everything that we need. It is because of him that we can be assured that we will never be cast out. We will never be forgotten. Israel was experiencing heartache because their kings had been unfaithful. Because of the sin of their king, they were cast out. But church, we do not have that fear because our king will never be cast out because he is faithful and he is true. And look, look at where the psalmist's hope is. As hard as it might be able to see, it's actually in the Lord himself. Look at verse 38. But now you have, you have cast off and rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed. Look at verse 39. You have renounced. You have defiled. Look at verse 40. You have breached all the walls. Look at 42. You have exalted. You have made all of his enemies rejoice. You have, you have, you have. 
what the psalmist sees is that God's hand is behind everything that happens. The psalmist is equivocally clear who is in control of all things. And it's because the psalmist believes these things that he comes and prays and makes his complaint known. It is often, often asked of me, if we believe that God is truly sovereign, why do we pray? Why do we pray if God has ordained all things? And I always respond the same way. Why would you pray if you didn't believe that God was sovereign over all things? How could you pray if you didn't believe that God could actually do something about it? Why would you pray if you didn't truly believe that God could fulfill his promises to his people? Brothers and sisters, this is why we go before the Lord and lament, because our God is in control of all things. He hears the prayers of his people, and he acts on their behalf because he is loving and faithful. We pray this psalm because as the, the pastor of Covenant Church Nashville said, in that great tragedy, when they were praying and lamenting, this is what he said, our problems are too big for us, but they are not too big for a faithful God. And this brings me to my third point. God's people, the people's patience with the Lord. We wait together, and it's hard. But we wait together because our Lord is true, reminding one another what he has done in the past to know what he's going to do in the future. He has fulfilled all of his promises in Jesus. This is what we already have. And he will fulfill all of his promises to come. This is the not yet. And he will hold us fast until he returns. We must have patience even though it seems as though God is not in control, even though it seems that he is not with us, our Lord is faithful. This brings me to my fourth and last point. The people praise the Lord. Look at how the psalm ends in verse 52. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Brothers and sisters, blessed be the Lord forever. Because he will turn our mourning into joy. We will be comforted. Our sorrow will be turned into gladness. We shall not fear where the future leads. We shall not be dismayed. Even when we go into deep waters. Even when we experience fiery trials. Even when we come to the end of our lives and it seems as though the promises are far off. We look to Jesus because he is coming back. Because he is faithful and he is true. Let us not waver. Let us have full assurances of all the promises that we have received in Jesus. May we be a people that lament. Because it is the proper response to heartache. And Jesus will comfort us. 
Amen. Let us pray.